1: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the football podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as analysis of the elite level of the European game. I'm Duncan Castles. This week I'm joined on The Transfer Window by a man who first appeared on this podcast in May 2019 detailing the plans of Europe's most powerful clubs to establish a breakaway Super League. Yes, more than 18 months before those self-same clubs publicly announced the move to set up the Super League. Our guest today was the founding Chief Executive Officer of the Scottish Professional Football League and a former UEFA committee member. He's the host of a premier sports industry podcast. Are you not entertained? To add to that long list, he is an angel investor who describes himself as a corporate jester. I like to think of him as a football futurist. Welcome back to the transfer window, Roger Mitchell.
0: Uh, great to be here, Duncan. It's it's always a pleasure. Um, I, I I love I love doing this because um, I think your podcast is is something that's. Um, Different from what a lot of, I think, I've seen in the media, certainly over the last two or three years, which is um, a kind of like ingrained resistance to change. You know, um, a feeling almost of like ivory tower, looking down on everybody that feels that some things need to adapt and evolve. Um, I don't think you and Ian have ever done that. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's really an honour to come back on and hopefully I can add some value to to your listeners.
1: I'm sure you will. And, and yes, I think that, that idea of looking where change is in the sport and, um, and how the dynamics around, around the sport affect football, where it's going to go next, is something we've always been interested in this pod and, and something that you've greatly contributed to in, uh, in your previous appearances. And that's why I'm, I'm so interested in, in having and you on again and hearing what you have to say at this time. Today's pod will be asking where football stands in an era of of war, inflation and direct government intervention in the ownership of clubs. Um, but as ever, as you know, listeners, we start. We like to start with a news line on the transfer window. And the news we have today is of the financial terms that currently Chelsea defender Antonio Rudiger is asking um, to sign a new contract at whichever of the elite European football clubs um, can be convinced to take him. He's doing, doing what... A number of these um, well-known players, high-performing players whose contracts are running down, is doing and offering his services to the top clubs. Um, Real Madrid uh, have been one of the candidates. Manchester United also offered the player. Juventus, um, another club, Bayern Munich. It's a a pretty obvious set. The price he's asking, his representatives are asking, is for a €30 million signing-on fee. And a basic wage of at least 6 million euros after tax each year. Um, this for a player returned 29 this month. Um, he is in, I think it's very fair to say, the best uh, season of his Chelsea career. He's played 26 of 28 Premier League games for them, a, a centre point of Thomas Tuchel's defence. But... Um, Looking back over his time at Chelsea, he's only averaged 25 Premier League games a season over his his four previous years at the club. Uh, There was some reporting last week that he'd already agreed to join Juventus. I'm told from the Italian end that that is not the case, that they have intensified discussions with the player, but nothing is agreed as yet. Juventus obviously have an advantage in these kind of negotiations and that they can use the Italian impatriate tax benefit, which means that footballers coming from overseas are taxed only 30% of his income. Rudiger himself, his preference seems to be to to stay at Chelsea, Um, but Chelsea have balked at those financial terms. Um, he, He said and put pressure on the club saying, I'm happy here, but there are also other people who have to make decisions. He's in a position now Currently, where he can't actually sign a new deal with Chelsea, even if they were to accept those terms, because the club is operating on a on a UK government special license, which prevents them from signing new contracts or 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 um, agreeing to sign players for the coming season. Roger, what do you think of those kind of financial terms for a player of age twenty nine, um, and? Do you think Juventus would be, as, as someone who's based in Italy, who, who knows the Italian league well, do you think he would be a good fit to Juventus if that's the, the club that
0: chooses to pay those terms? Um, well, the first two questions there. The f- the first one, uh, for somebody at 29, uh, I personally wouldn't go anywhere near those terms if I was the club. Um, it's a little bit like Bala, isn't it? Uh, mm. Who, as you were saying, there's a few of them just now. Um, around Kissy is another one um I think we'll probably come on to this in the course of our discussion about how I be- how I personally believe the transfer market is changing um I think we'll see a a, a lot fewer uh, transfer fees going forward for various reasons that we'll get into um so Rüdiger himself uh, you know what's he got in favor of um asking for that mon- that kind of money which is a, a lot of money for a 29 year old um, there's not a lot of great defenders around. Uh, you know, um, I think if you said, Duncan, you know, in the old days when you had a, a more defenders-defender type of of operating, mm. you know, you had your Maldinis, you had your Nestas, Carnavaro, Turam, uh, Montero. Um, they they were all defender and defenders. Now when you're expecting your defenders to to also bring out the ball and distribute and and all of that. I think it's very difficult to identify really, really good ones that that take all of the boxes that are required now. And I think he probably is one of them. Um, um, So I think he's an excellent player. I think every one of those teams you mentioned would like him. Uh, I just can't believe that any team that is operating under any type of financial discipline these days, um, can go anywhere near the terms that you, you've talked about. There'll probably be very little sell-on value, um, you know, because you are paying capex uh, of 30 million, according to your figures. Um, so uh, I, I just think that, you know... And isn't it curious, Duncan, how many of these people do really well in their last year of their contract, <laughs> play really well? Isn't it curious? You know, I was thinking, what's the lad at Arsenal, uh, Lacazette? Is he not up this year as well? Yes, yes. Um, playing super well. <laughs> it's been terrible for most of his contract. Um, the other thing I, I would say that it's always quite interesting that after a World Cup, um, you probably don't get your bet the best out of these top players, and uh, they probably you know suffer a little bit from such an intense uh, period this year. It's not summer, obviously; it's winter. But you know what I mean. So. Um, Uh, I love him as a player. I've watched his development from the days he was at Roma. Um, In terms of Juventus, uh, Juventus went, and I I think we talked about this the last time in some ways, went from wonderful financial management about four or five years ago under Beppe Marotta um, to becoming a little bit of a financial basket case in the last three or four years, linked pretty closely to bringing in Cristiano Ronaldo that threw out a whole lot of um, equilibria in that club. They then went on this um, kind of like um, crusade of trying to sign a uh, freeze, you know, from Rabio to uh, Aaron Ramsey. None of them have worked out, you know, so I honestly don't think uh, Juventus will be your team, Duncan.
1: Under, under someone who's now at Tottenham Hotspur, Fabio Paratici, um who is having a lot of questions asked about his uh, his recruitment expertise both at Juventus and and given what he's done at Tottenham in uh, in his first season there let's move on um, to the forced sale of a forced auction of the current European and world champions Chelsea Um, which is a factor in what's happening with Antonio Rudiger, but a much bigger factor, I think, in what's going to happen with English football, European football, going forward. It, It is absolutely unprecedented. You have, within the space of a few weeks, a Tory government that had gone out of its way to court Russian wealth, taking donations from the families of oligarchs, and the Prime Minister handing, against the advice of his security agencies, a life peerage, to the son of a KGB agent. Um, They've gone from that to forcing two of the most prominent investors in English football out of the Premier League, Alisher Usmanov, who currently still holds um, a record for the biggest financial transaction um, carried out uh, in the purchase of of shares at a a Premier League football club that's set to disappear um, when Roman Abramovich, um, loses control and ownership of Chelsea um, because the government have, have taken a, a series of steps to give themselves effective control over the sale of um, the current European champions. Roger, what are your thoughts on this sea change in the effectively unwritten rules of ownership for the crown jewels of UK sport?
0: Yeah, this is a great question. Um, I think we need to separate it out. Um, let's leave aside what we feel about Russia for a second. We can come back to that and we will come back to that. Um, where, where I'm particularly uneasy is um, what I call the lack of um, due process and rule of law. Um, the idea that people that for many, many years have been not only seen as good corporate citizens, but actually welcomed, as you say, into the UK to spend their money, to invest their money, who um, overnight can be called bad actors and then have their assets stripped in a way that would shame um, a a third world country uh, under an autocratic ruler. That's not the Great Britain that I grew up in. I am desperately uneasy about how that has happened. Not because I'm a friend of of Abramovich, not because I'm a Chelsea fan, but because it's not how we do things in Great Britain. Um, If you want to do something like that, you have to put somebody through the courts of law. There is a very clear uh, due process to do that. And if they are found guilty, things happen from that point on. You can't just say to somebody like this, it's not uh, on anymore and we're going to sell your asset. That's the first thing. The second thing is, um I in in Chelsea's case, they'll probably get away with it because it's it's a it's a golden jewel, as you say, and there will be loads of bidders. But you know, um, I'm always told that these clubs are community assets, that're the fabric of society. How can you take um, the 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 financial um, uh, stop gap of a club like Chelsea? just throw them away and not let the club uh, sell merchandise, sell tickets, um, contract players. And 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 it just seems to me incredibly rec- reckless for what is, at the end of the day, a rather important football club in London and West London and in the UK. So the, the, the whole thing um, in many ways fills me with horror in terms of the way it's happening. I'm not somebody for mob witch hunts at the best of times. Um, and this one I, I believe um is setting an almightily frightening precedent, Duncan.
1: Yeah, I, I think your your point about separating out the the status of Roman Abramovich, where his money came from, whether he should ever have been invited into UK society, into UK football in first place, from this kind of extremely populist move where the government are being under pressure to sanction Abramovich and want the club removed from his hands as quickly as possible. Um, There's all kinds of questions in that process in terms of where does the money go, who decides where the money goes, um, whether Roman Abramovich continues to have a say in the sale even though he is sanctioned by the UK, and how a a US investment bank, the Rain Group, are permitted to deal with a sanctioned individual in the UK in order to sell the club. There's a a big question. If nobody is supposed to do financial transactions with Roman Abramovich at the moment, how come the RAIN group are allowed to work with Abramovich to sell the football club? But that precedent, I think, is fundamental here because suddenly you have... The government and this is a government decision a government action saying we do not want you to be owner of this football club and we want you Alisher Usmanov out of Everton football club we're going to decide who takes control of it at the same time and very recently you have the government being petitioned by Saudi Arabia to allow Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund to buy another English club, Newcastle United, against the wishes of the majority of the Premier League clubs, um, while Saudi Arabia has been prosecuting a war in Yemen. You have Abu Dhabi owning Manchester City, also involved in that war in Yemen. You have just this week Abu Dhabi Um, releasing pictures of Sheikh Mansour, the titular owner of Manchester City, and other members of the Abu Dhabi royal family, sitting down for tea with Bashar al-Assad, a man who allied with Putin to retain power in Syria during a 10-year civil war that's cost at least 350,000 lives. Does the government know what they're doing here, Roger? Is this just a populist reaction And we'll worry about the consequences of it all going forward.
0: Um, Listen, I think I'm relatively well known for not having an awful lot of time (laughs) um, um, for half pregnant morality, because once you start, where do you stop? Um, That's not to say that I condone any of the things you're saying. Um, All I'm saying is, where do you draw the line? Where, Where do you really draw the line? You know, um, what is uh, Abramovich's crime that he was given a lot of underpriced assets on the breakup of the Soviet Union? Is that is that his crime, or, or do people think that he's done something else um, uh, for Putin recently? I think it's the former, you know, like the oligarchs are are under the heading, you all got rich in some kind of like deal where you put Putin in power, promoting him from a relatively obscure bureaucrat um, with the understanding that the quid pro quo would be, you would all become billionaires overnight. You know who another one of those is? Len Blavatnik, who owns The Zone. He, he he got a lot of the assets, I'm not mistaken, around um, commodities, you know. Now, um, Blavatnik's a Ukrainian, so obviously he's free and clear at this moment in time. But this is the point I'm making. What is it Abramovich is guilty of? Getting rich at that moment or some recent uh, idea that he has aided and abetted Putin? Um, not clear. I'd love to see all of that discussed in a British court of law. We'll never see that because we have decided that we're going to behave like some, as you say, populist government. The mob demands a little bit like um, free Barabbas, if you allow me the biblical reference, um, that one guy gets uh, free and the other person gets crucified. I don't think that is what I like to see in the country that I was born in. So. that's my problem with all of this: deciding where the moral line is, uh, black and white. In terms of the process, look, the process we are where we are now. Rain, not rain. The fact is, he's not going to have that club. Um, he's not going to get any of the proceeds. Uh, there's a load of bidders. You get, you know, the professionals involved, and they're great professionals at rain and other people involved. The bids will come in, and there'll be some uh, way of allocating who is the right uh, owner. And that I think is the easiest part of all of this, Duncan. The the level of the bids are so good that I believe that you know the future of Chelsea will become a non-issue. Um, that horrible precedent I, I think will be there forever and a day. Are you
1: are you sure? Are you clear that where the money goes is a is the easy part? Um, a lot of what I'm hearing around this is this is there is an element of a negotiated settlement between the government and Abramovich here, and uh, and there is a big question mark. The government is briefing that none of the money will go to Roman Abramovich, but they haven't uh, explicitly said that where the money will go instead. You could see a scenario where the money is frozen, for example, um, and then allowed to be distributed uh, post sanctions coming down if they were to do so in the, in the not so distant future.
0: Possibly, Duncan. You know, uh, once you say what I said earlier, that I think the whole thing is an abomination, anything goes, is my point. Yes. You know, it could, you know, anything goes. Uh, and we are just uh, flying on the seat of our pants. Yeah. Um, and until things go through a court of law and, and, and company's house and all the things that should happen, anything goes. And I'm not going to lose any sleep about what a uh, deal they do in the back uh, smoky corridors uh, to, to, to to make sure they come out looking uh, as if the, the, the mob and the pop, populist government gets a win here? Because that's all he's doing. He's just looking for a win. And isn't it convenient that we're no longer talking about Christmas parties and all of that stuff that nearly took him down three months ago?
1: The valuation of Chelsea... Roger, you're you're someone with uh, expertise in valuing football clubs. Been involved in vi- advising on on takeover attempts before. The brief from the Rain Group was that Abramovich was looking for north of three billion pounds for Chelsea. How do you justify numbers of that scale for a club that barely makes profit? and has a billion pound plus stadium problem on its hands and um, has run for the last 19 years with over one and a half billion pounds of of soft loans put into it from its um, soon-to-be erstwhile owner?
0: That's a great question, Duncan, in the sense of well beyond football. It's It's the world of the... The, the valuation of assets, I would say, for the last 30 years. You know, um, everybody that asks me these things or tries to get me to justify the valuation of an MLS team, um, I always say value is in the eye of the beholder first. Secondly, um, value in many ways these days is much more a world of intangibles rather than tangibles now. And whichever way you want to cut it, Duncan, um, Chelsea will be a club in the inevitable Super League when it comes around again. Um, thirdly, then uh, this is the more what I would call financial PL answer, which, you know, bear with me a little bit. Um, every football club, uh, Chelsea included, Talk about the number of fans they have. Um, I think Man United talk about 1.1 billion fans. Um, if you apply the valuation metrics that are used in um, Silicon Valley for um, what you would call, you know, tech companies, uh, the value per user is significantly north of three per user, which would be the value you would be applying. Uh, to Man United today Man United is worth what 3 billion say okay. it says it's got one, one 1.5 billion uh, fans so that's 3 per user you know something like pin interest is significantly higher than that so what is the difference the difference is because football has not yet grasped the opportunity that um, is called things like vertical integration, direct-to-consumer, becoming a consumer business, knowing your fans, getting to them to spend more money with them, get ARPU up, get their lifetime value up, all the things that Silicon Valley and that way of thinking knows really, really well. So I could make a very serious case, I probably have, in a back in the fact packet way, to say that uh, $4 billion for Chelsea is still a bargain. Um. For the reason I said about value per user, for the upside about the inevitable super league, and for the value of that um, brand data uh, that comes from being a King's Road, super sexy London um, um, world class city club. Four billion, easy peasy.
1: And you're talking about value per user. I mean, Manchester United are derided for their investors' calls, but I think if you spend any time listening to what Richard Arnold and co. have to say on there, that's what they're talking about all the time.
0: Of course it is. Of course it is. Broadening their market,
1: selling direct to China, selling direct globally, increasing those famous uh, media interactions.
0: Well, well, you know, I I would just put it more generally than this. Uh, Sport in the main, Duncan... Um, is classically been a B two B business, business to business. Um, those aren't rated as highly as consumer businesses. So one of the things that is going on in the football industry is this struggle to move to be considered a B two C business, a business to consumer uh, operation. And 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 you know that is the big um, the, the the big play. Uh, become a media company, Uh, your fans are more loyal than anybody else, know them, know them really well, segment them into their demography and everything like that, and all of a sudden you take more and more of their spend. Why should uh, they be spending on travel and hotels for away games through booking.com when you could do it yourself? So... All of this stuff, which is, this is the big thing, the shift in business model and sport to -to direct-to-consumer, vertical integration, um, that's why one could make a very easy case that $4 for a world-class club like Chelsea situated in London is a real bargain.
1: And, And that is why we see so many Americans and American sport franchise owners involved in this bidding process.
0: Yeah, I mean this this takes us on to um a, a little you know a little bit of a um a pivot. Um you know let, let's have a look, you know, let, let's move into a little bit where you started same well, where are we now in a post Ukraine uh, world, um a world of war. Um because that and that allows me to answer your question and if I'm going around the houses too much, cut me off, Duncan. You know, um in in the main, what, what has happened in the last thirty years? We we have had a, a world, an economy, a, a, a financial environment of decreasing and very low interest rates, um, and very low inflation, because interest rates and inflation are this this uh, two different sides of the same coin, um. In recent years, for a multitude of, of reasons that have got nothing to do with sport, um, governments have printed an awful lot of money. Um, they've done it to get out of things like the Greek crisis, to get out of the the, the fears about the euro, all of this kind of stuff. COVID pandemic. They've, that's a bit even better one, COVID pandemic. They've printed a lot of money, uh, but they don't call it money printing because... <laughs> that's got a bad connotation. It's got the connotation of Weimar Germany in the 20s where you had to take wheelbarrows uh, full of paper to go and buy your buy, buy your eggs in the morning. They don't call it money printing. They call it things like quantitative easing uh, and MMT, modern monetary theory. But it's money printing. And in every moment in, in, in the history of the world, when you debase your currency by, by printing more of it, It ends up in inflation. Inflation is prices going up. Um, The people have thought that this was not a problem, but it has been an increasing problem well before uh, the tanks going into Ukraine, such that um, the debate in my world was about whether transitory meant uh, six months or meant 36 months, because the thing was, oh, yeah, there's inflation, but it's transitory. Um, Ukraine and what's happened... Changes things in a way that I cannot overstate Um a, a couple of reasons Um the first thing is that um, the price of commodities From oil through and uh, nickel through wheat that takes you into food Are going to go through the roof uh, Anybody looking at the prints for uh, the CPI and then the inflation in the last the last month, we'll see um, numbers that will make your eyes uh, bleed. They really are huge. So, w- what does that mean? Um, We're looking at going... over forty percent in, in Italy, for example. No, the numbers, the numbers are just unbelievable. And and this is underreported. You're correct, Duncan. Um, what does that mean? Classic fi- corporate finance, uh, macro finance says that when inflation raises its head. You need to raise interest rates to combat it. You need to cool the economy. Um, now, which the U.S. That,
1: Federal Reserve has just announced, they've, they've indicated that they're going to increase I, I, yeah, interest yeah. rates to from basically zero to two point two five percent, or two point five percent by the end of this year.
0: Yes. And if they don't do it quick enough, one tends to believe that the market will do it for them. There was this old phrase in my day that was called the the bond vigilantes, which meant that if, if the, the government doesn't do it quick enough, the markets will. Um, so one way or another, there is enormous upward pressure on rising interest rates. Enormous. Now, what does that mean? What, what, what does that mean? Um, it means a couple of things. Um First of all, it means that all the people who have become very active in investing and in buying stuff, all of a sudden can't do it as easily as they were before because they were funding their activities principally through debt, debt that had zero interest rate on it. I'm talking about things like the refinancing of Barcelona, the refinancing of Inter Milan, the media company that's been debt financed at AC Milan, and I could go on and on. The new stadium at Tottenham. Debt has become the main way that the West has financed all kinds of stuff for the last 20 years because it's had a low cost of capital. The interest rates have been low. It's been cheap and it's been very, very available. So what I am suggesting is that this thing was already started, the rise in interest rates, but it has been given an almighty leg up by the last couple of months such that many, many projects um, and many, many investment ideas no longer make sense because a spreadsheet that has an interest rate at 1% Nukes looks nothing like a spreadsheet with an interest rate at six and seven. God forbid we ever get back to 10 again. So we are now thinking about all those funds that have been raised because, you know, the funds that are raised, you call them CBC, you call them Silver Lake, you call them Sapphire. I could go on and on and on. All the ones that are around lending to football, buying football clubs. Silver, Silver Lake, for sh-
1: example. Put a huge amount of money into City Football Group. I think last year or the year before.
0: They did. They did. All of these things. Um, I've got spreadsheets. That I've got an assumption about the rate of interest, and I'm telling you, if that these spreadsheets are exponential, so you change that from one <laughs> to five, and it goes red real quick and really heavily red. So um, what I'm saying is that the world of assumptions about how sport could be financed and how it was a lovely uh, investment opportunity has changed. I'm not saying it's gone from good from bad to bad. I'm saying it has changed. So let me now come back to answer your question. Remember um, when you started this podcast, the flavor of the month in terms of who was investing into football would include China, yeah, things like Wolverhampton, Atletico Madrid, things like this. Um that stopped ac milan that stopped such that they couldn't pay and you know a singer group um ended up uh, owning ac milan a a, a, a vulture hedge fund yep. um so so china uh, came and went um then we had the sovereign wealth funds um let's park them for a second Um. then you had the oligarchs in different shapes and sizes and nationalities I think we can put a red line through oligarchs supporting sport for a wee while now. I think they're gone. (laughs) Uh, So Actively excluded
1: for a wee while.
0: uh, For a wee while. So who were the other ones? It was all these funds and all these American investors. And all of them were operating on an assumption of plentiful and very cheap cost of capital. And what I'm saying now is that world changed and changed dramatically. So if you take out China, you take out the oligarchs, you take out, um, you take out, in, in some way at least, um, the, the froth of American big finance, you're left with the Middle East. And, you know, I don't know what you're reading these days, but I don't see people stopping at the whole oligarch is bad meme, you know? It's going very quickly to, as you said, oh, aren't they involved in bombing Yemen? Or, um, you know, how many people are dying building the stadium in Qatar? These things move real quick. So yeah. um, uh, there, there, there is a view, Duncan, that the world of happy, clappy globalization and everybody was getting rich and everything was all super nice and we all kind of like closed our eyes to anything that's nasty. I believe that world has ended. Globalisation was already on its last legs and it ended last month. There is now the East and the West. We are no longer in Kansas. So this is the world that we are in now. Um, And let's come right back to Chelsea. chelsea will do okay the price who who knows what the price will be two and a half three four who knows the fact is that it is a premium rare asset it's like the real estate in big sur in california Mm -hmm. there isn't a lot of it and come what may you're always going to get a bid for that kind of shit because it's rare location 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 And Chelsea is exactly, in my humble opinion, despite everything I've said, said, still in that prime location.
1: And additionally, a a consequence of this printing of money is that there is a, a group of people at the top end of American society, European society, who have large stores of wealth at present and are looking for places to invest that money, to try and separate it away from what looks like um, very dangerous equity markets. Uh, one of the th- briefs I've had on this sales process is that's why Rain Group were seeing a lot of interest from America, is that they, they felt there was sufficient wealth over there and individuals who, who wanted to move money into a trophy asset, a premium asset, in the expectation that sport – top sport clubs would come out of the economic carnage that's to come better than other classes of assets.
0: That's that, that's a great point. And there's two elements to that. One is that there are some, some people that are so rich that all of this we've talked about, it doesn't matter. Yeah. They've creamed it in so much the last 20 years that the numbers um, are, 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 are mind boggling. And trophy assets are always trophy assets. Oh, and by the way, if the world is going to get a, re- re- a bit nastier, you're going to always have that phrase. I-, I don't particularly like it, but it's used, sports washing. It protects you a little bit. You-, you own the Broncos, which is also on sale. You own Chelsea. You own AC Milan. You have got a community of people that have got your back in some way. You get a ticket to some of the nicest rooms in the country. So there's that element to it. The other element to it is is much more what sport is considered to be what is called an alternative non-correlated asset, which is exactly what you've said. Come what may, there is maybe more stickiness in people's loyalty and their expenditure on a football club than there is to, you know, them going to, uh, uh, you know, the restaurant or they're going to the cinema or they're going to, you know, uh, Disney World and things like that. Sport is one of the last things you'll give up, along with it, you know, and uh, clothes for your kids and things like that. So, both of those points are very well made, Duncan.
1: What does that mean for the balance of power, competitive balance in European leagues and Premier League? Because you have, if I'm reading this correctly, you have. Nation states carrying on as they have done for over ten years now, buying premium asset football clubs as long as they're allowed to do so by governments in order to, uh, for various aims, advertise their country, to sports wash, to 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 develop those those chain of um, of people who will defend their reputation when when they're criticised. So they keep their money in. Then you have the type of class of buyer who are. Are chasing Chelsea at the moment to take a premium asset and they they're not worried about interest rates but then you have this big tail of clubs um, quite a few of which are in the Premier League that have been bought by American investors um, quite often with substantial debts uh, Burnley would be an example here who are going to hit this interest rate wall um, and not have a lot of money to fund quality football teams and, and fund uh proper competition within the league?
0: Well yeah um I would I would take a step back before going into that and then we can go into some of the the line items of the PL accounts of football clubs. But before we do that, um you, you know as you said at the top of the show that I've been a great believer in the ultimate polarization uh, between Hollywood and um what I call the community clubs, not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying it's a natural polarization that has yeah. happened in every entertainment form. It happened in the music business where the the LP, the album, was ripped apart into hits and um songs that are, are commodity filler songs. It's happened in the music and in the movie business where um by now, if you're not a franchise, uh, Marvel or, 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 or any ones that can have a long-term IP brand, um, you're not really going to have much of an audience. The art house type film, the Woody Allens, the kind like of like middle-of-the-road little rom-coms, they just don't get made that much anymore. I've always got an issue why sport doesn't read the room on this. This was the way sport was going to go anyway. I know people don't like this, but it's just the way of the entertainment world. It's called box office. Folks want box office. Then your challenge is to work out the model for the long tail of everybody else. There are interesting models I personally believe that a lot of these models will have a lot to do with Web3 and, and DAOs, DAOs as my, my colleagues call them, which will allow direct ownership by a community in let's say uh, buying a, Der- a Derby County or anything like that. So the model for the long tail, um, I, I I think there's a lot of work to get done in. The model for Hollywood um I, I, I think is inevitable. And and like I said, as you said 18 months ago. But let's let's look at all of them at their PL account just now. And and in the context of what we've said, let's investigate it a little bit. The main uh, revenue line for all the sport is media rights. Media yeah. rights. Now um in the main um Media rights for sport have gone up for the last 30 years thanks to one very lucky piece of um, information, which is new technology comes along and to get established, it needs to buy sport. Uh, we saw that with the, the arrival of Berlusconi, with Rupert Murdoch. We saw it with um, you know the arrival of broadband and, and BT Sport and things like that you now have what we have got, the streaming wars. The, the idea that everybody, um, you know, has to invest in a new platform, whether it's called Peacock, whether it's called Zone, whether it's called Eleven, whether it's called FUBU TV. All of these people have been overspending for sports rights because they have to, to establish a critical mass in what is a new platform who finances all these new streaming companies the same people that finance everybody else it's the is the is the funds it's Silicon Valley, it's people with spreadsheets that were uh, yesterday at 1% cost of capital, and now we're at 5%. Whichever way you cut it, there isn't going to be as much money to fund these new platforms as there was a month ago. And that trickle-down comes to the fact that there aren't as many of them to be keep competing for rights, and I believe that um, media rights in the next wee while going forward, are going to plateau and probably go down. And and, and Duncan, that's before I use the P word, piracy. Piracy. Piracy is a bigger issue than anybody thinks. And, you know, if you just look at the zone and their attempts to do what they're doing and they're the main broadcaster now in Italy and, and piracy is killing them, all of these things lead me to believe that media rights for sport are going to be challenged. There may be some people that don't care about this. They may be called NFL, the super, super brands that uh, will always get a bid. A little bit like I said about Chelsea earlier, location, location, location. The rest, uh, from second, third tier, fourth tier sports down, they're going to struggle, in my opinion, for media rights. Um, Media rights are the things that keep all of those debt um things um uh, financings in place from inter Milan, AC Milan, Barcelona. It's all the new thing with CVC and the French League, but um, Spain as well. All of these are basically forward factoring deals uh, on future media rights. Future television uh, to, and
1: broadcast. And f-
0: yeah, if you yeah so here you're going to get a double whammy. I believe those rights themselves will reduce in value. But the second whammy is that you have to discount them with a higher interest rate. You know, um, if you're discounting 10 years of, of French football uh, uh, broadcast rights at 1%, it doesn't reduce that much to the t- today's value Yes. to be collateral for a loan. If you're discounting them at 7%, you watch and see how uh, compound interest works on an Excel spreadsheet. You know, so what I'm saying is that that whole uh, uh, castle of sand of how a lot of European football has financed itself, including through CVC, I believe will be severely, severely challenged for all the reasons I've said. Let's look at another major revenue stream that is um, that this sport is lapping up uh, with both hands these days, um, betting rights. Betting rights, and again, I'm not going to go into any moralistic kind of like value judgment here. But betting rights is really about people's disposable income, or in many ways, sadly, how much they can put on a credit card um, to to pay for their habit. Now, credit cards uh, get paid back depending on what the APR is. The APR is another word for interest rates. If your interest rates are going through your roof, the roof, your credit card bill is going through the roof. That means you just can't spend as much on betting. Uh, so uh, I think that whole industry um, will continue to do what we've seen in the last three or four months, where most betting companies and most of the companies in the middle, Genius Sport, Radar, um, they, their share prices has, has dropped off dramatically, in some cases more than 50%. Let's move on to another one, sponsorship. Sponsorship is marketing. And in any recession, which always happens when interest rates go up, the first thing to get hit is marketing. It's it's what's called discretional spend that you cut off when money gets a wee bit tight. Um that's another line that I think they're going to struggle with. Um let's come back to the last one. For some clubs anyway, let's say that anybody that's not in the top half dozen clubs, they are what is um what is called uh, they're called selling clubs we started this podcast talking about how players are hanging on and not allowing a fee to be generated they're a bit smarter they you know i i i basically believe that that, that that this this trend will continue i think that the chances of the the levels of transfer fees that have been around are just not going to be there anymore i believe that this will become a market for um the gig economy if you will for football there's enough journeymen uh, pro uh, footballers for you to put a team out really easily you don't need to spend on um, a, a 10 million forward if you're good at recruitment and you can do your stuff well and you've got a good coaching team um, you may need to spend big money for Haaland but again that's the whole thing about you know the, the top of the tree and the long tail yeah. so I believe for the long tail you won't see a lot of transfer fees and I just see an awful lot of funds coming in and buying European football clubs just now on the idea that um, what Atalanta did in the last five years will be continued going forward. I tend to think that is priced for perfection and I don't believe in investing when the price is, per- is perfection. So for all of these reasons, I think there is going to be enormous downward pressure on the p and account of European football clubs at a time when finding get out of jail capital is going to be harder and if you do find it it's going to cost a hell of a lot more.
1: So some examples of that Manchester United have recently signed a sponsorship deal at a significant discount on their previous sponsorship deal the premium supposedly the most popular club in world football having to take a hit on shirt sponsorship you have the Premier League which is basically accepted that UK broadcast revenues aren't going to go up again. And given what's happening to the UK economy, I think we can. Ex- it's not a bad bet to say that they'll go down next time around. It's dependent on global revenues, dependent on increasing its broadcast revenues through American money. So you have that question of where the American economy goes. And as you mentioned, Spain, France, going to uh, outside um, lenders in order to forward sell their media rights in Correct. order to recover from COVID and get back to a position where they can have a go at trying to compete with um, with the Premier League and the Champions League so you, you've you've given us great detail on how all of these revenue streams are under pressure in all of these leagues, what's the consequence of that?
0: Oh there's only one consequence and it's good news you know, um, there, there's a there's a pressure valve in football. It's called player wages. You know, um, you and I, Duncan, are of a vintage that we remember when players get paid a fraction of what they were getting paid today.
1: A tiny a fraction.
0: A tiny fraction. And, you know, they had a something that was called, a younger uh, listeners won't know what this means, a testimonial, um, which rewarded them for being at the club for around 10 years. Uh, and with that money, they bought a pub and they became a relatively humble landlord in the local town. That was the career of a football player when I was a lad. What we've seen in the last 30 years has been an explosion for a, a number of reasons, mainly, mainly what I said before, media rights based on the fact that technology platforms needed uh, to, to, to buy content that was must have. That has gone into players and agents' pockets. Um, if everything I say is correct, the reverse will happen. Um, the reverse will happen. So um, football cl- football won't die. Football um, is the last thing in everything here that will die in a world that I'm describing, um, which is not a very pretty picture. Football is the last thing that will die because it is the passion of the working man and woman. And rightly so. Um, it just needs to find, re- find its economics, embrace change, embrace a change of model, Um, You mentioned those sponsorship uh, contracts before. One of the reasons, another one would be Spotify and Barcelona. The reasons that those values are so low comparatively is because football clubs, even the biggest ones like Barca and, and United, don't know their fan base. They haven't invested anything in the kind of data that a modern brand and sponsor needs to take value out of a sponsorship deal. So... Um, there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of mindset mentalities to change. And, and, you know, that's come back to really good at the start. You know, ask yourself the question you asked me. Everything I've told you now that I believe will happen, would you pay that lad 30 million in those salaries uh, in this world that we're about to go into? I think I would probably pass on that one, Dunk.
1: The other element of this, of course, you mentioned Manchester United, you mentioned Barcelona, I'll I'll throw in Real Madrid as well. These clubs thrive on and want to remain at the top table in European football. We've seen them and others already try and shift the economic model to move to Super League. Those pressures on finances just magnify the importance or the, the outlet that a Super League Presents to clubs that don't have nation-state funding, and, and we've seen Andrea Agnelli, uh, the Juventus president, talking about how they were he, and Real Madrid, and Barcelona were waiting on a ruling from the European Court of Justice as to whether um, they were entitled to set up their own competition away from UEFA's jurisdiction. Um, It's not going to go away, is it, Roger, the Super League project?
0: It it just just can't, for for a whole lot of different reasons. Um, It it just can't. Let's take one of them. Um, Today, the success of the English Premiership, today, I'm talking about today, is such that these traditionally big clubs in Europe don't like the fact that they're a financial disadvantage to England. They don't like it. They won't accept it. They need to find something that brings what they would call the natural order of things back into place. You cannot have a top four team in the English Premiership earning significantly more money than uh, Juventus or um, the Spanish giants or, or Bayern Munich. You just can't. You know, so that that's the, 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 the main reason. The, the other reason is sadly what I said to you before It's what my financial friends would call product market fit. Now, um, my generation of football fan was very comfortable in following a whole lot of teams that could have been called um, top of the tree at one moment in time. Everton, Nottingham Forest, Aston Villa, all of them you will remember Duncan at the top of the English tree at any moment in time. Yeah. Uh, we had no idea that, you know, um, success bred success. Um, there was things like followers and social media that they were the things that, 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 that dragged in the, 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 the global audiences. We, we had a UK footballing culture that quite easily accepted that, you know, everybody had their, their day in the sun, and rightly so. Um, uh, those days have gone um, the global fan does not understand that. And more importantly, the younger fan, the Generation Z fan, does not understand that. They operate on um, a, a, an attraction to narrative, to personalities, to celebrities, to to beef. Uh, all of these things that um, are, are what I call liquidity plays. Success breeds success. So... That battle to be on the right side of the liquidity play to be one of the top twenty brands, that that happened 10, 15 years ago. That that's that battle has been fought. There's not really going to be a big change in that now. Chelsea got in, Everton didn't. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so
1: Newcastle so, you know- United are trying to do it with.
0: Maybe I think a wee bit too late.
1: A huge pot of wealth is going to be interesting to see if that's achievable. Yeah,
0: that's exactly right. Great point, Duncan. But the point is that it's product market fit with all the will in the world, with all the romance you want to bring to it. Nobody is interested in Crystal Palace against Brighton. You know, I hear other podcasts with guys my age who are guys like me and they're proper fans. They're good guys, good men. And they they talk about the love of their team. I sometimes think they're blind to the fact that nobody under 20 gives a damn. They just don't. You know, this is a world like I described before. And then, you know, let's not get into the whole area about how relegation and promotion completely distorts the, the need for risking your financial stability to get into the promised land or to not fall down into the, to the seven circles of hell. N- closed leagues with the big brands are the only way I can see to give a sustainable future for the top of the game. For the rest, the long tail, the community side of the game, there is a future. It's probably a good future, but it is not doing things like asking the regulator to redistribute money and all of this kind of stuff.
1: That that was a point I wanted to, to come on to. You've got th- that Super League um, proposal terribly handled um, from a public relations dreadful, point of view. Dreadful, dreadful. Um, was fought off by UEFA President Alexander Cheferin, was fought off by the head of the Spanish League, Javier Tebas, and fought off by Sky um, with Gary Neville at the forefront. Um, And you can argue that where where was Sky's interest? Sky's interest was in sustaining the Premier League because they make the money from the Premier League rather than majority from Champions League. The answer that people have proposed to stop the Super League from happening is independent, in inverted commas, regulation of leagues um, set up by the government. We have Tracy Crouch in the UK government wanting an independent regulator for football as part of her fan, which she calls a fan-led review of football governance. Is you, you used to run a football league, Roger? Um, is government regulation of football the solution to sort out this myriad of of financial and competitive
0: problems that, that you've detailed in this podcast? Um I've got to try and be as fair as possible here. Uh, <laughs> in terms of product market fit, um, no, it doesn't. You know, you cannot buck the market. You need to offer a product that is what the, the market wants. And the, the market wants box office. I told you this is what's happened in the music industry, what happened in the movie business. The market was box office. The idea that you shouldn't do that and you should redistribute in some kind of like, you know, everybody, uh, let's drag everybody down to the same level. I cannot get my head around that intellectually. It is not product market fit. But let's come back to um, the other side and be fair here. I was in a league where... um, all leagues are like this. Um, Your clubs only think about self-interest. Only think about self-interest every day, all day. So um, anytime you want to get something done, you have to get an an amount of clubs whose self-interest is with what you want to do to vote for you. You're not going to convince them to be altruistic or to see the long-term view. Football doesn't work like that. It's purely self-interest so um should there be somebody um independent um, would I have liked somebody independent on a, mm. my board at the Scottish Premier League the answer is yes the answer is yes I would have um you know what the problem is politicians are rubbish <laughs> they're rubbish you know, like I saw it in Scotland at my time when we had the start of devolution. I've seen it at Westminster level. If you think clubs are in it for self-interest, you, <laughs> you've you got to double that for politicians. All they concern about is getting re- re-elected. They, they have got no view apart from that. Anybody that's giving you the idea that they, that they are in it for something else, it's, it's just a lie. Now, That's normally the case with politicians everywhere in the world, everywhere in the world. um, You get into a moment now where populism is on the rise and has been for 10 years, and you want to bring rubbish politicians with self-interest turbocharged on populism to run the working man's game, I think you're out of your mind you're rubbish, absolutely rubbish politicians out of your who've, mind.
1: who've just put billions of pounds of, of UK taxpayer money into the hands of uh, people who were unable to complete COVID contracts.
0: Well, I mean, listen, we could talk a, a, another three three hours on this, but if you think about something like this, Nancy Pelosi, who is one of the most important politicians in America, her net worth is estimated to be around $250 million. She has been a career politician on a salary of around $200,000 a year. Now, I mentioned compound interest before. (laughs) There is no way you get to $250 million on that salary, right? Something else happened. So... I'm not a big fan of bringing politicians into anything in life. Get them out of the way. Small government, let the creators of wealth get on. I know that's the the free market, laissez-faire, capitalist agenda. But let me tell you this, Duncan. If we look at the world that we're in today, not just sport, but from A to Z, it has been utterly defined by the people in Silicon Valley investing capital to innovate products and the world is a better place for it no innovation comes without private capital and to get governments involved in something is just an incredibly bad idea
1: who decides who the independent regulator is who do you give independent regulation to what are they allowed to regulate oh yeah you got all of those as well you've the got the, of the, de- as well. the detail of how you actually run this system is is frightening in itself and and this chelsea sale which is a uk government intervention led
0: can you imagine the regulator that's their first action if you will good one that's a really good example you gave us we
1: we have we have people talking about how the answer for uk football clubs is to allow supporters a, a golden share in each football club um I'm fascinated to see whether the UK government, which has taken unprecedented control over the European champions, will insist on a golden share being inserted into that purchase deal. If ever there was an opportunity to do it, this is the opportunity to do it. Um, but I won't hold my
0: breath on that one. Well, but the, the, Duncan, you know, fan ownership is another chapter you know, let's put a couple of adjectives beside the fans. And 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 I don't see this with any uh, any kind of like disdain or disrespect. It's just the beauty of football. Fans are fickle and they are irrational. And I have never, if you go to Chelsea now and you say uh, down the King's Road, should we pay 30 million and that salary to Rudiger? Every single one of them will say yes. The worst thing you can have in running uh, football as a sustainable body is to have fickle, irrational, uh, uh, screaming, bloodshot uh, uh, eye fans in charge of making decisions. It's even more insanity.
1: Which leads me on. Um, we always finish this podcast with hero and villain. Um, I'm going to go for the villain this week. Um, I was tempted by to choose Gary Neville um, for his argument that Diego Simeone would be the right man to manager Manchester United. I don't quite see how he squares that off with some of the things he's said about Manchester United managers in the past, given the way that Simeone sets his teams up. But in this case, I'm going to pick... A supposed Chelsea supporter who is um, who's leading um, or fronting one of the bids to buy Chelsea, Nick Candy, um, who has, uh, I think, levitated his public profile in, in talking about what some people consider to be an, an optimistic attempt to purchase the club. Uh, in amongst it, he's included an interview in which he praises Manchester City's nation state owners, saying they run it properly, they're amazing. Uh, and suggesting that Chelsea need to copy the Abu Dhabi-Manchester City model, uh, one which I, I won't go into the number of, of rule-breaking attempts uh, that, that have, have been uh, conducted <laughs> during <laughs> that, what Nick Candy describes as amazing ownership. Roger, can you, do you have a hero for us?
0: Well, well, if you're going to put that on the table, um, I uh, have to make my hero uh, Gianluca Caviari, who is in the same bid with <laughs> Mr Candy. <laughs> Is in the same bid with Mr. Candy. Now, I believe that General Cavalli, um uh, and we have to say we're, we're not sure how much longer he's going to be with us because he is still inflicted with uh, that dreadful disease. Um, he, I believe, is one of the absolutely good guys, and he takes all the boxes. Um, a world class player, a very decent man, highly intelligent. Um, and also um, is trying to get involved in football football investment in the right way. You know, he is a partner in um, uh, Tifosi, who are the merchant bank for sport that Candy is using. Um, the founder of Tifosi, Fausto Zaniton, I, I believe is one of the leading lights in sport uh, finance um, for, uh, around and has been for the last five years. Um I don't know Mr. Candy very well. Is he not the guy that built those super uh, fancy one Kensington Place um, uh, apartments that, you know, I think he was. I think he's a property guy. I um, have
1: I have seen reported that he made a significant amount of money from selling property to Russians yeah, yeah, he, who we were the, invited he, into the country,
0: <laughs> ironically. <laughs> yeah, he, he's the guy that, you know, a bit like Trump Towers, you know, he made these um, this place where the number was a billion for a flat or something like that. I may be exaggerating, but super top-end, super exclusive property development along the lines of, um, you know, uh, some people will just pay any number as long as it's exclusive. Uh, I don't know the guy. Um, I've heard a couple of things that were relatively positive about him. I do know Fausto and I do know General Caviari. And um, I believe that um, if Chelsea ended up with uh, Vialli in in any kind of role, then that would be a massive win for them, candy or not, because Fausto is really smart and Gianluca is the kind of moral lighthouse that, in his case, he also is a club legend, that it doesn't get any better than that. So I'm going to put uh, Vialli as my hero.
1: As always, look to the money and you learn a lot about what's going on in football. Roger, thank you for joining the Transfer Window podcast again. My
0: pleasure. It was a really great chat. Great, great chat. Thanks, Duncan. Thanks,
1: Roger. That was the news before it became news. You can follow us via multiple social media channels on at Transfer Podcast. I'm at Duncan Castles and Roger is at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. (laughs) Please rate, review and share the podcast. The next edition of The Transfer Window will be with you soon.